the fastest feedback loop you have is when you're writing code locally. So what if you can put the cloud inside of that feedback loop and have this ability to like, you know, run things like super quickly. And then when you're done, you just deploy it. Hey, before we get started, I'd like to remind you that the full episode is only available to our subscribers. The current platforms you can subscribe on are YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and Patreon. With that, let's get on to the episode. Hello, welcome to the DevTools FM podcast. This is a podcast about developer tools and the people who make them. I'm Andrew, and this is my co-host, Justin. Hey everyone, uh, our guest today is Eric Bernhardson. Uh, Eric is the CEO of Modal Labs, which we're really excited to talk about. Uh, before that, led engineering it better, and before that, had a big sprint uh, at Spotify. Um, but Eric, before we start, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure, and it's great to be here, by the way. Uh, yeah, so I've been coding for, I don't know how many years, 30 plus. Um, started back in 90s. Uh, on a Mac, Mac Plus. Uh, and uh, yeah, like you mentioned, in particular, I was at Spotify for almost seven years. Built a music recommendation system there and, and ran data teams and machine learning teams. I was a CTO for a number of years at Better. And then the last three years, I've been building my own startup, uh, Modal Labs. That's my very condensed story. Uh, yeah. So uh, did you yourself build the music recommendation system at Spotify? Yeah. I mean, I, like, you know, A, I left eight years ago and like yeah. there's been a lot of work <laughs> since then. But and like B, you know, towards the end when I was there, we I had a team of about thirty people, but but yeah, I mean, initially I, I built um, I built the first version and, and and scaled it up and and then started getting help when when people saw potential in what I was building. Pretty cool. Um, so let's let's just jump right into modal since that's uh, what you've been working on lately. So uh, for for our listeners who don't know, how would you uh, pitch modal to us? Yeah, Modal is a tool for data teams, and I'm a little nebulous about what data teams mean, but like people who work with machine learning, AI, or also kind of compute intensive things, or building data pipelines, or, or cron jobs, or whatever. Uh, and Modal helps you deal with all the infrastructure, so you don't have to think about provisioning, and resource management, and scaling. Basically, just describe your code as normal Python, and then Modal takes that code and executes it in the cloud, and it's 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 essentially we are a cloud provider in the sense that we we execute it in our on our platform and, and then we we charge per usage. So it's sort of a serverless platform, sort of like you know in the style of like AWS Lambda, but more targeted towards what data teams need. Um. So like, wh why did you start it? Like, was uh was working with data and working in this fashion hard to do? Like, is there a lot of infrastructure to set up if you want to do these types of data processing stuff? Yeah, totally. I mean, I've been working with data since like most of my professional career, so 15 plus years. Uh, and, uh, and to some extent, purely selfishly, I always like wanted to have a better tool. I almost wanted to build a better tool for myself. Like I always felt that like, you know, there's 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 so much stuff where like that the, the, most of the complexity is like less about like actually like building a prototype is, and you know that works locally. It's like getting it into production, right? Or and like there's so much stuff around like scaling and scheduling and stuff where like it just gets in the way of delivering value. Um, uh, and as well as the rest of the data stack, frankly, like, like there's also a lot of stuff higher up, like, you know, thinking at Spotify in particular, I built a, a workflow, uh, an orchestrator slash a workflow scheduler called Luigi. So, so I've also like spent a lot of time, like higher up in the stack and thought a lot about like different data frameworks and, and tools and, and systems. And what, what I realized was like a lot of that stuff is, is fairly, uh, is fairly fragmented data teams spend so much time on, on infrastructure. 
eventually like most companies like once they get big enough they end up like building their own data platforms which is often like a thin wrapper around kubernetes and then data teams are, are usually not happy with that uh, because it doesn't let them a lot, do a lot of the stuff they want to do in particular like now this, i think that's very clear with like gpu stuff it's getting very hard often for data teams to iterate based on the existing platforms so yeah, so I, I wanted to rethink the entire data stack. I realized like the best place to do that is, is really in the runtime layer. What, what I mean by runtime is like building the cloud infrastructure that executes code. Essentially building almost like a Kubernetes that's cloud native and focuses on the types of needs that data teams have. Uh, you know, it's serverless, it scales up and down, like it just, you know, builds containers very quickly, enables you to very fast feedback loops. So I started building it about three years ago, end of 2020. Uh, I pretty quickly realized I was like, this is a deep technical problem. Like I have to go deep down and like, you know, file systems and Linux and containers and, and what else is like, I can't do this on top of Docker and Kubernetes. So I'm going to have to rebuild all of that stuff. Um, and everyone thought it was crazy for, for saying this back then. Uh, but, but I realized actually like th these things, like you can do this, like it just takes time. There's a lot of work, but, but you can have to, you, you can't go, you know, someone built Docker. So clearly like, you know, I can also build something equivalent. Um, so, so yeah, so started dabbling with that and, and pretty quickly realized like, this is what I want to do. Like this is when I want to turn into startup and, and started hiring people in, in 2021. And, and now we're still relatively small. We're still 10 people, uh, but definitely starting to feel like, you know, what we're building makes sense. So is it fair to say that like a lot of those infrastructural problems that you were seeing uh, in your, you know, past experience or other companies are going through, it's like you want to take, solve a lot of those problems and just sort of give a nice um, sort of runtime layer for people to sort of dive into and I guess get a lot of those benefits. Yeah, totally. And, and like, I, I think like a couple of examples would be like, let's say you're like building a machine learning, um, some, some inference, like an inference endpoint. Like you have some model you want to productionize, like, you know, like often like you can get that working pretty easily locally. Actually, it's not that easy these days with GPUs. But even, you know, like once you get it working, then often like you have to rewrite everything or like rewrite like a ton of it in order to get it working in the cloud, right? And, and so I, I think there's this like huge like, you know, chasm between like getting things running locally and getting things running in production. It's gotten a little bit better with containers, but, but in order to work with containers, now you need to introduce containers into your workflow. It's kind of annoying to have to like rebuild Docker containers all the time to run things. Like, like a lot of the like stuff we've done in the last like five, 10 years with infrastructure has like, you know, maybe, you know, enabled us to like bridge the gaps between local and production a little bit more, but it's actually made the like, feedback loops like much worse. Like, I, you know, like in the sense that like, you know, like a, a couple of decades ago, I used to just like SSH into machine, like write code. And like when I was done, I just like just copy it into the production folder and like stuff like that. And like, I think there's something to be said about the feedback loops that you had, you know, when, when the, the, the production and cloud was, was the same. And, and so like, to me, like my starting point was like, I want to make data things really productive. Like, and, and I want them to not have to think about this, like production versus a uh, cloud. So, so, so what if I can like take the, the, the local development and put the cloud inside of it, like that, that loop when you're writing code. Like I, I always thought that like, if you, if you want to think about like developer productivity, best way to understand developer productivity is in terms of these like feedback loops. Like, like you have this like, you know, feedback loops and, and, and the fastest feedback loop you have is when you're writing code locally. So what if you can put the cloud inside of that feedback loop and have this ability to like, you know, run things like super quickly. And then when you're done, you just deploy it because it's all like built in a way where like it runs in the cloud already. Uh, and that's what I was like realizing that that's, that's the key to supercharging developer productivity, specifically with like data tools. Yeah, I've, uh, 
like I'm not much of a data engineer myself, but I've been building some products that need GPUs and uh, like, you're right, like setting it all up locally is is tough, but then setting it all up in the cloud is like a second level of toughness. And what you guys have done with modal, the DX is just like super nice. It's like, instead of hopping between multiple YAML files and worrying about my infrastructure, I just write one one file, define it all in one place. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. so the DX is amazing. Yeah, it's zero YAML at modal. There's like, in fact, there's zero configuration. It's all code. Uh, and that's very intentional that, that you know, because like, and that's a promise I can make to all the listeners and all the users of modal. There will, ev there, there will never be a single line of YAML in modal. Yeah, so let's let's dig into that a little bit. So like, uh, my first example is like Docker. So usually you have to create a Docker file and all of this. How does uh, setting up your Docker instance in modal work? I mean, you don't use Docker. So in modal, you basically describe the infrastructure inside the code itself. And, and I think this is not necessarily like a novel idea. Like there are some interesting frameworks that do similar things. Like in, in particular, like we use Pulumi at modal. And I think Pulumi is kind of interesting in a sense. Like it's like, I don't know, Pulumi for people who don't know, it's basically like Terraform, but it's like programmable. So it's all like code. And like when I started using it, it like blew my mind. The idea is like really, really, Pulumi has other issues. But, but like, you know, the core idea is like very, solid like you just like write code that define like you can put like write like for loops and functions that like you know create like route 53 whatever so 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 i wanted to have something similar like inside the code itself but then like the step further is like i also want to put the app code inside of it too i think i think like there's a couple of like aws frameworks like cdk and like chalice and a few ones sort of the same idea and i think there's some lambda based frameworks but but anyway the, the idea with modal is like you just write code like python we focus on python and the benefit of for Data teams is like 99% of it is Python. And inside the code itself, you just define the environments, but you also write the functions. And then, you know, if you have a bunch of different functions running in, each, in different containers, uh, they can just call each other, just like normal Python functions. You don't have to think about, okay, like this stuff is running here, and then I have to like serialize this and invoke this other thing. Like it's just like a function call, like it's internally. So, so you can define it, build this application inside modal, just like one single Python script or multiple scripts or whatever, multiple modules. Um, and define all the different dependencies, all, you know, all the containerization on a functional level, and then have all these like functions calling each other and mapping over each other. Uh, and then when you execute that, the model itself builds necessarily containers lazily if needed, uh, and then schedules everything, you know, scales up and down containers as needed and, um, and, and executes it and streams back the output, right, to, to, to your local laptop. Like you don't have to, like, like there's like, there's this like AWS feedback loop where you like have to like build a Docker container, push it to the cloud, then go into the like console and click a button and then it like runs. And then when it's done, you have to download the logs and then you, and then you like look at the logs and you're like, shit, okay, like I forgot to like add a, you know, whatever, semicolon on this line, right? Okay, I have to start over, right? So whereas like in modal, it's all just like, just like, you know, run the, the script and then it like prints the output. Uh, and so you have this like very fast feedback loop and with, with uh, like I mentioned, zero configuration, it's all like a single script. Yeah, the, the feedback loop is really nice. For the thing I was building, I was trying out like hugging faces inference endpoints. And I just found like I was waiting like 10 minutes to build Docker every time. But with modal, like as I change uh, my containerization layer, it does that little bit of extra evaluation it needs to. And then the next time I run the script, it's just like super quick. And I'm like in the problem space. Yeah, totally. And, and modal lets you deploy code in a couple of seconds. Uh, and, and if you need to rebuild a container, even that only adds typically like 10 seconds for like installing a Python package or whatever. Uh, so, so we really thought about it from the point of view, like we want to have this like fast feedback loops. Like we want to have this like developer experience that feels magical. Like you want to, it's like, 
It's like you, you want it to feel like, like, oh, is this even running in the cloud? Like, did it actually run? Like, I, I want people to not believe it when they see it. I don't know if we're quite yet there because <laughs> there is a little bit of like a noticeable delay. Like it's not quite as fast as running things locally, uh, but we'll get there. Yeah, this uh, we uh, a few uh, a while back now we had the creator of Unison on, and it has a very similar feel to me, where it's like making the cloud and calling things outside of your computer feel like it's just local. Like there is no like yep. communication layer between my client and my server. It's it's just code all the way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I looked a little bit at Unison. I think it's super interesting. I think I think the difference between modal is like for modal with modal, it's like you get that, but to some extent also like like you get the normal Python environment, mm -hmm. like all the libraries, like all, you know, the normal stuff you're used to, right? And, and I think it's a big ask to ask people to move to a new programming language. Whereas like with modal, it's like, it is the same Python you're always familiar with. It's the same IDE, like you run code the same way, almost like you, you know, but you know, you can actually run it in the cloud and we deal with all the scaling and all that other stuff. Something interesting about the sort of data ecosystem or at least like developing in Python these days, feels a little bit more fragmented probably than it ever has to me, at least. I haven't actively done a lot of Python in a long time, but um, so when folks are using modal, is it sort of a bring your own tools? Cause you know, there's like a plethora of package management solution for Python, for example. And you said you're, you're doing a lot of the stuff on the cloud as sort of a really tight feedback loop. So I'm assuming that when you're specifying packages, you're doing that through some light DSL wrapper inside of your configuration files is like, hey, I have these dependencies that this function the configuration needs. files. Well, uh, I mean, like in your actual runtime code, you're, yeah, you're talking code. about how it's like, a, yeah, like this DSL that's like alongside your function. Um, so is that, it's like, we give you the tools that you need for doing things like dependency and everything else. And then it's just like, you just write this function and then it's good. Or is it more like, here's how you slot into your other workflow, you know, you're using, I don't know, poetry or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we, we, tend, we, we tend to just like push people into using like pip. I tend to think pip is like, it's like the only thing that I've used that like generally works. Um, so, but I think the other benefit is also like in the cloud, like we build everything from scratch. And, and so like, it's sort of less of a problem. I tend to think like the big problem with Python is always like when you have a bunch of different virtual environments, like locally, and you have to reconcile different stuff. And like, but whereas like, I think they're like dumb approach of like, just create a new virtual environment for everything kind of works or like, let's just build a new container for everything that also kind of works. Uh, and if you do that, it's actually less uh, critical, which, which um, package um, framework you're using. I tend to use pip most of the time because it's like the, the most commonly used one. It's like well understood. Uh, we do support other ones too, like in theory, like a bunch of people use Conda with modal. Uh, you could in theory use poetry. We have some basic support for poetry too. So uh, what, what are the primitives that modal provides to help you like build up these things? Like how, how do you define one of these cloud functions? I uh, just write a normal Python function and then you apply a decorator and in that decorator, you define the runtime environment. So that's like basically what image it is. Uh, and you can also define things like, you know, do you need a GPU? Then you specify what GPU type. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff. Like you can add like a cron syntax if you want to like, you want the function to be automatically triggered a certain times today or uh, you can actually mount, you can mount like file systems to it. So we have this ability in modal to define um, essentially like an NFS equivalent and mount that to the containers locally. So you can set up like shared uh, uh, file systems uh, and a few other different things. Uh, and, and then 
those functions are just normal Python functions, right? And you can, you can, you know, in those functions, you can call other functions, you can, um, uh, you can map over other functions, and then we automatically scale out. Uh, a couple of other things you can do, like you can set up secrets, so you can set up in the web interface and model, you can define like credentials, your AWS credentials or open AI keys or whatever. And then you can import them in the model. You can annotate functions and say, I want to inject these as environment variables. And then you get them available as, just, um, as environment variables in runtime. So this way you don't have to like deal with uh, hard-coded secrets and code. It just injects them in the cloud. Uh, what else? Um, yeah, there's a, you, you can define things to be a webhook. So you can take a function in the model and basically annotate it as, I want this to be a public uh, webhook that's exposed uh, to the world. And then model will then generate a, a, a random or, or a unique URL that you can then go to and that, that will trigger that function. Uh, so, so those are some of the primitives we have in model. You can build quite powerful apps with. Is this position more like a serverless framework in the sense that they're more for uh, short, shorter running jobs? Uh, so you do like a shorter running process versus maybe uh, more longer term living, you know, maybe you're, you're doing a, a really big analysis or something, uh, sending that to a GPU. Yeah, I guess like in that scenario, you might have like a server that is dedicated to the, like this process or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I, to reframe, is it shorter or longer, like longer running jobs that you're sort of aiming for? I I think we're like fairly unopinionated about that. Like modal as a whole, like you can run things for up to 24 hours. Uh, and, um, but that being said, I, I think, I think probably like it skews towards shorter running stuff. It has to, th I think the, the, the main reason is probably like one of the benefits of running things serverlessly is really cost. Like when you have, um, when you can auto scale to the actual usage, like let, let's say you want to productionize a machine learning model and you don't know how much traffic you're going to get, right? Like, the, the, you know, with a traditional system like Kubernetes, like you, you essentially have to like, the, the system scales quite slowly, right? Like it doesn't scale within seconds. So you have to provision to some extent for peak capacity, right? Uh, which means you can have like pretty low utilization rate. So, so where, where I think we, we've done, like right now where we see uh, by far the most usage is like deploying Gen AI, like GPU-based models. Like GPUs are also expensive. So that's the other thing, right? Like people want to save money by running serverlessly. Uh, and so that, 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 I think that's like the biggest one of the biggest benefits that's, that's evident with modal right now is like people see, you know, a lot of people may actually move from EC2 to modal and, and end up saving a lot of money uh, because they, they have this ability to, to auto scale very quickly up and down usage. So, so for that reason, it tends to be uh, shorter running things like a couple of seconds, like typically like inference endpoints, like doing stable diffusion and that, that kind of stuff. But we have a lot of people also doing things like fine tuning is getting more and more common. So, uh, so an example of fine tuning would be like Green Booth, for instance. So, like, you can like basically like fine tune this like custom stable diffusion model based on like pictures of you or whatever, like pictures of your kids or your dogs or whatever. And then you can generate like, you know, uh, uh, stable diffusion pictures of your dog or whatever. Uh, and, and and that fine tuning process often takes like thirty minutes. So that's something people do quite a lot with Modal. Like they'll have this like thing running for 30, 40 minutes on Modal on A one hundreds or something like that. Uh, we also have some people doing training with models. So in that case, like you might actually have like things running for like several hours or days, because um, you, you, I think you can actually. I, I said twenty-four hours, but I, I believe you can actually extend it to to seven days. I forget what our upper limit is. So we have some people running it for for much longer than that. But yeah, I, I'd a, say the median is probably like five seconds. Yeah, that's m much longer than most other serverless platforms, where you're like capped at twenty seconds. Can't do too many interesting things in twenty seconds. 
I think yeah, the, exactly. the, yeah. The, yeah. the auto scaling is a huge point. Like when I was comparing platforms, it's like, I come from a front end JavaScript world. I have never had to run a GPU before. Uh, yeah. And running a GPU for a month all the time is like five, $600. So yeah. like the ability to like be an indie hacker and say, oh, I want to put this model somewhere uh, and only have it spin up when I need it to spin up is super powerful. Totally. And if it goes viral, we'll scale. You exactly. Know. Yeah. And I like all the features you guys have for like, oh, like maybe have this run for like three minutes after uh, the last request or keep like one or two of yeah, these yeah, always on. Like that, so yeah. it's it's very nice and very like flexible to the needs of the developer. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the problem, I think on the technical side, just because I think it's interesting to talk about uh, with, with um, doing serverless GPU is is the cold start. Right. Because mm -hmm. in order to do the, the GP, um, these models serverlessly, you need to spin up the um, containers very quickly, like on demand. Like a user request comes in, now you need to spin up a container very quickly. And and that's a problem in itself just for CPU-based functions. Like, like Lambda has solved it clearly. Like they, they can spin up containers very quickly. Uh, but when you're dealing with GPU models, uh, suddenly it's a much bigger problem because like some of these GPU models, like just starting with stable diffusion, that's five gigabytes. So you need to take something that's five gigabytes large you know, like with Kubernetes, it's like brutal, right? Like you need to pull down a Docker container, then like, you know, start up the container. Then that one has to read like, a, you know, five gigabytes from network into memory and then, you know, copy it from memory to GPU. So that's like, you know, a minute or two, right? But with Modal, we ended up building our own file system. We built it on building our own container runtime, our own container image builder. And so because of that, we can do something similar in just about 10 seconds, like, like starting a container, loading the five gigabyte model files like from network into CPU memory and then copy it from CPU memory to GPU memory. Uh, I hope to get that down to a couple of seconds eventually. Uh, there's clearly, a, you know, five seconds or 10 seconds or whatever it takes is still uh, a, a long time. Uh, and it's no, as a noticeable latency. And it gets even worse for some of these like very large like language models, right? Like you have these language models that are like 40 gigabytes, right? Uh, but, but those are some of the very super, super interesting technical challenges we're dealing with this, you know, how do you how do you load these very large models into GPU memory very quickly in a distributed system? So do you guys like? I I don't think you guys actually like own the hardware, right? Like who actually owns yeah. these GPUs? Yeah, we didn't go that deep. Like yeah, we do run this on the on the the hyperscale of the public clouds, right? Like in particular, Oracle has good GPUs. We run this on AWS and GCP as well for some burst capacity. Uh, yeah, we we haven't gone quite as deep as building our own hardware. Uh, I I think that's a that that's a bridge. I'm not sure if we're ever going to cross, uh, uh, maybe one day, but, uh, but, but everything down to that point, right? Like we, we've done a lot of just like, you know, performance tuning Linux kernels and like, like there's a lot of like deep stuff that we've had to do in order to, to get to the performance we wanted. Yeah. I think just working at Oxide has, has taught me this lesson where if you step outside of the sort of Composed software and even hardware components that you're putting together, and think more critically about what is the holistic problem you're trying to solve. You can often come up with solutions that are much more performant, you know, because there are all these trade offs and all these layers in general composable software. You know, you got Kubernetes and you've got Docker and all these things, and they're meant for a specific use case. <laughs> and, you know, maybe this use case is non optimal. And I always like think about this like, there's Modern computing has like so many abstraction layers on top of abstraction layers on top of abstraction layers, right? Like, you know, and, and every abstraction layer usually adds like an order of magnitude overhead. And so, so why is it that like, you know, when I go into AWS, like computers do like what, like, you know, a billion or a trillion floating point operations a second. But when I go into AWS, 
and I update some load balancer setting, it takes like 25 minutes sometimes for it to propagate, right? Like, why? But I think the, the solution is like, there's so many different layers of like abstraction that like, you know, they're all, they're all relying on like cache invalidation or TTLs or like, you know, so many different like things that all just like add up. And, and that's why we end up having this like slow stuff, right? Uh, and, and, uh, but a lot of these things, like if you actually like push through, like you can actually figure out ways to make it a hundred times, a thousand times faster than what people think. Not always, of course. I mean, there are like fundamental limits, like sure. network bandwidth is like hard. Like once you saturate, like, you know, what, what a network, you know, interface can do, like, it's hard to get around that. But, but a lot of stuff is like, you know, how fast should a container start? Like, I don't know. I don't see a reason why it shouldn't start in like, you know, a few milliseconds. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the beauty of like building a company like Modal, where you're really looking at this problem holistically. You know, you're like, all right, this is what we want to do. We want to provide this DX. We want to provide these performance guarantees uh, and give this like just general experience. And you're able to say, we don't need this, or like, let's redo this, or something that wouldn't make sense. Maybe you know, if you're on a team at Amazon or whatever, you're like, hey, yeah, you know, we could remove these abstraction layers, and they're like, we could. But also we have to ship these other things or, you know, we're focused totally. on these yeah. metrics this quarter or whatever, you know. Totally. And, and I think that's a big benefit of building for a particular use case or particular team, right? Like I, when I look at AWS, like I have tremendous respect for AWS. Like I love AWS for what it enables me to build. And I don't think we would be here without AWS, right? But like AWS, their products are like they're trying to build for like a very large, you know, group of people at the same time. And what that often means is that they're not really thinking through what people need. They're building, you know, more like infrastructure and just like throwing it out there and then like hoping people pick it up. And, and I, whereas I think, you know, something like Modal, uh, we can actually like kind of start over and think about what data teams need. And then, you know, I didn't end up building what this like container infrastructure because I wanted to. Like in a way, like it's like almost like building it out of spite because I got mad. But, but like, but, but like I, I, you know, we, we're doing it in the service of like building better, faster feedback loop for data teams. And like, I think a lot about like, you know, Vercel is a company I look up to a lot too, right? Like they're, they're starting with, a, it's a very different company, right? Like very different product. But like, I think in a similar way, they're starting with a problem. Like they're starting, okay, let's make like front end engineers faster. Like, like let's make it easier for them to deploy things, right? And, and then, you know, and, they, and then they can optimize it. In a way, it's almost like repackaging the cloud in like a vertical way for a particular workflow and a particular set of users. And I think if you if you make that assumption, suddenly you can like really go deep on like what those people want. Well, that's a, that's a very interesting way to look at that. I could see many other companies popping up in that like vertical for a specific developer. Totally, and, and I think to me that's been fascinating, right? And I've written a lot about it on my blog too. Is that as much as I admire, you know, I, I like I love the cloud provider, and I think AWS and the other ones have such tremendous technology. But but I think like the the last you know the developer experience was never there, right? Like I, I, I've used AWS for 15 years and it's still hard, right? like, you know, deploying a Lambda and then IAM and like whatever, it's like hard, right? So it's, I think it's been interesting to see like in the last decade or so, or last five years, like there's been an emergence of what I call like a second layer of cloud providers, right? Snowflake is a good example, Datadog, Vercel, uh, Modal hopefully, right? Like also like Railway or like Fly or whatever. Like, and, and the idea is that like they kind of repackage this cloud and like offer a better developer experience. And then even though they may actually use the cloud provider under the hood, right? Like Snowflake, you know, which is a, a, a SQL-based data warehouse, right? Like they end up using uh, uh, AWS under the hood and also the other cloud providers. And so the question is like, how are they able to compete with AWS? Because AWS is also trying to go up to stack and they have this Redshift thing. But, but I think what's been evident is like, 
AWS does the underlying compute layer extremely well, like the EC2 and the Route 53 and like S3 and like all these things like so well. But in the layer above, like I think there's plenty of room for people to compete on developer experience and rethink what that looks like. And, and I could see a world where like give it a few more years, like a lot, the, the average engineer may not actually interact with the clouds anymore. They may interact with those tools that are layer above the clouds. Yeah, super cool. Um, so I want to dig a little bit deeper on some of the technologies you mentioned. Like you said, you had to rebuild the file system. Like I would never think that, oh, I need to rebuild the file system to, to get this performance guarantee. So like, oh, why, why did you do that? Yeah. So, so first of all, like a, a kind of open secret is like, it's actually less hard than, than you think to, to build a file system. I mean, there's like fuse, which is like file system user space. So you, you, you can, and there's even like a Python wrapper or like there's a Python implementation of it. So our first prototype file system, we actually wrote in Python, which is a terrible idea, but it was great for like develop, you know, kind of proving the point, like it actually worked. Anyway, why did we build our own file system? So the problem is we want to start containers very quickly. How, does, how do containers start, right? Like a container is essentially from a Linux point of view, it's basically like a couple of different primitives. There's a couple of things around resource isolation and security, but it's also a thing around uh, defining a root file system and pointing to here's the root file system in my Linux uh, uh, machine. Please start a container from this Linux file system. And what we realized is that the average container image uh, is very large. It contains so many files that are never actually read. And so when you have this like pushing and pulling of container images, there's a lot of very there's a lot of inefficiencies, like moving a lot of data that's never read. Um, and also to some extent moving the same data, because like a lot of different containers they actually contain the same data over and over. Uh, and, and so there's this deduplication based on layer, but, but that actually doesn't accomplish too much like in terms of efficiency gains. So what we realized is like, what if we instead build this file system that presents this file system to the container engine, but however, those files actually don't exist on local disk. But when the, when the container engine runs C or, or something like that, requests this file, then we go and fetch them over the network. So that way you can accomplish, you know, the, the, just getting rid of, you don't have to copy all these files that are never actually read by the container. The other thing we realized is that a lot of the files are the same. So what if we checksum them and instead of storing them based on path, we just store them based on the checksum. And we built essentially what's called, the idea is, is a well-known idea. Other people have been doing this since the 60s, content addressed file system. So we built a content addressed file system where we, we compute a checksum for every single file we store that separately, and then we have index files that then resolve to this underlying blobs. And then we, we built this file system that presents that to the container runtime as it is, as a, as a root file system. But under the hood, we actually go out and, and, and fetch the underlying blobs and then cache them locally on SSDs. And if you do a lot of these tricks, uh, you can get very low latency container startup and very high cache efficiency, which means you can boot containers very quickly which was the, the, the end goal that we wanted uh, to get to. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, and it once again reminds me of Unison. Me and both, <laughs> just, me, both me and Justin smiled at the same time. Uh, oh, yeah, because they also have some sort of like checksum base. Yeah, yeah I, they I, do. I remember reading about it. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. yeah you're right. Like, it's, yeah. it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a content yeah, address thing. Yeah. That's super cool. Uh, like, you basically made a lazy file system, which uh, one of the biggest things in performance is just make things lazier, and that'll make it faster. And it seems like you guys took that to the extreme here. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like a CDN in a way. Like we think mm -hmm. of it as a CDN in, in, in many ways. That's awesome. I feel like this is a, a space that definitely should be explored more. 
I've seen some really creative experiments with people just playing around with Fuse, just like building really cool stuff. And it's like, yeah, file systems are, are really powerful and there's a lot of things that you could do with them potentially. And this is such a great example of that. Yeah, totally. And, and our file system is proprietary, but, but I think there are some people, there are some open source ones where people have been trying to implement this within Kubernetes and within Docker. Uh, there's a project called Nidus, uh, and there's another project called Dragonfly, I think, something like that. Maybe it's the same thing. So there's like, and then there's another file system, system called like Star GZ or something like that. So there are some attempts to implement this within the existing sort of Kubernetes Docker realm. Uh, I don't think it's widely used, um, but it's sort of interesting to see like these ideas are in a way like kind of, if you actually go deeper and like think about it, like I think there's a lot of people who have sort of arrived at the same conclusions. So uh, I'm sure you have a lot of really interesting use cases for this, uh, you know, one of the one of the delightful things about building a product like this is just seeing how customers use it. So, what are some of the cool things that you've seen built with Modal? Yeah, totally. It's funny you're asking it because, like, actually, for the first year and a half, like, we did not have like a particular use case in mind. Like, we we were just building this, thinking like we're building a Kubernetes for data teams that's cloud native, right? And like, I, I always had a high conviction that like this makes sense, but I didn't really know like what's the killer app or like what's the main use case. And it wasn't until last summer that that started. We started realizing, like, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in Gen AI, and we have a lot of the primitives that are that 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 would really be valuable for that audience. Like, we had GPU support, serverless, you know, fast boot up, and so that's really where we've been seeing a lot of traction. So it tends to be a lot of the things that we see um, since then has been like stable diffusion, like some people generating lots of images, like basically like prompt to image generation. Uh, it's been a big use case, stream booth, uh, control net. We've also seen a fair amount of like text-to-speech, speech-to-text. Uh, we've seen some people generating music on modal. Um, we've also seen a lot of people, a couple of people doing 3D rendering on modal, which is kind of unexpected. I think it's funny because like, you're like, oh, wait, you can use like GPUs for rendering 3D? And they're like, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> like, that's actually, like you kind of forget, that's what GPUs originally built for it. But, but yeah, so people use... Um, so there's a bunch of people using modal for like 3D gener um, rendering 3D images. Uh, and then we have like a couple of people doing things out completely outside of AI, right? Like doing um, like computational biotech, like alpha fold or like sequence alignment, that kind of stuff. Web scraping, video transcoding, like stuff like just like batch running, like FFmpeg. Uh, this is kind of a wide range of stuff that people are, are using it for. Yeah, it, uh, it it must have been very nice when you're like, oh, wow, AI, like it just popped onto the scene and kind of just like made for the perfect use case. Totally. Yeah. And, and I think in hindsight, like what, what I think was is clear now is like, you know, a year ago or so, like we built this thing we felt was like much better than Kubernetes. But I don't think it was like fundamentally like good enough for people to really like feel like, oh, I'm going to switch. It's not quite worth the switching cost. But when all this like AI stuff starting happening, then I, I thought it was very clear that like you know traditional infrastructure breaks in a big enough way where like there's now suddenly a, a very clear reason to switch to something new, right? And, and that's where we felt like we've um, positioned our, ourselves really well. But like my goal, to be clear, is not to like you know be like an AI company, right? Like I I, I love this AI stuff. I always been you know working on AI stuff my whole you know most of my career and. But I think there's so much other stuff, right? Like there's so much other non-AI stuff. There's so much like compute intensive stuff completely outside of AI that's also like super exciting. Uh, and we want to support those things too. Yeah, I think especially now with as much excitement and intention as there, as there is, 
one of the really interesting sort of value props here is just lowering the overall barrier of entry, right? Because there's a lot of people who want to experiment, who want to like put out products. And, you know, in a traditional sort of infrastructural setup, you've got a lot of engineering investment, as you've already pointed out, just in getting started and setting this stuff up. And it's generally like mature organizations who are doing it. And, you know, having somebody, a person or a small group of engineers who can get together and then on a weekend hack together like a proof of concept of a product because they have a fast food feedback loop, like you said, because it's like, you know, infrastructure on demand, you know, all of these things, really good UX, that is is huge and just enabling people to build products. Um, so I think that's that's incredibly exciting. T totally. And, and, and it's not just necessarily like lowering the barrier. Like, I, I think that's like one side of the spectrum, right? Like, you definitely want to like make it easier for people to to, to do this, but, but, but I never wanted to build what I, what I've been like jokingly referring to, like Kubernetes for kids, like a, kind of a, a simpler version of Kubernetes. I, Cause I, I think it's really important also that you're building something that also like advanced users want to use too. Right. And, and, you know, like, for instance, like I think about myself, right? Like I understand AWS really well. Like I understand Docker, you know, Terraform, like all these tools, right? Like I've been using it for like 15 plus years, but like, even to me, like gets in the way of like delivering value. Like I want to write code. Like, I don't want to write YAML. I want to write code and, like, build cool applications and ship them, right? So, so to me, like, the, the, like you know, the best tools has, has always been the tools that sort of appeal to both sides of the spectrum. Both the people are, like, starting to dabble with something new and, like, you know, and then they're like, oh, this is really easy to get started with. But also the people that are, like, are really into, like, you know, you know have all this deep expertise and they're like, this is, like, getting in the way of, like, me, like, doing stuff. Like, I just want to, like, do stuff, right? So... That to me is like, you know, this design, like that's the tool I always wanted to build. It's like, you know, you, you appeal to a very wide range of, of users. For sure. I mean, I feel like this goes back to, it's all really related to the same thing. It's the layers of abstraction just introduce a lot of incidental complexity. It's like, we don't intend to spend all of our time, you know, tuning Kubernetes, but we end up doing it because we have to do it to get, you know, whatever we want deployed, deployed. And yeah, so definitely experts or beginners or whatever. It's just like, if you don't have to deal with you know, a bunch of configuration or whatever. It just helps you move faster. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So let's look to the future a little bit. Uh, what What's next for Modal? What are you guys building towards next? You've. It seems like you have a platform that works for a lot of use cases. What What are you planning on? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not GA yet. Generally available. Like we still have a wait list, and and um, we're, we're growing. You know, deliberately and intentionally, uh, but not you know open to anyone to just register. Uh, so, so that's the next milestone is to, to get it out of GA. The main focus right now to get there is just performance and scale. Like we, we need to make a bunch of fundamental infrastructure investments to, to be ready for that scale. It, and also to some extent, like fixing a bunch of like minor, like client stuff that's like bothering me. Like there's a few things where I need to break the SDK in a few ways where I want to do that before we launch because I don't want to deprecate like too many people's code. Uh, but, but that's, I, I hope relatively soon, like, you know, you know, it could be as soon as like end of the summer. It could also be like end of the year. Like, I don't know, quite know, like we'll sort of see. But to me, that's the next milestone. And then I think a lot of it is just like scale and performance for the rest of the year. Uh, like I mentioned, cold starting stable diffusion is on the order of 10 seconds. Like I would love to get that down to three seconds. But that's a hard technical investment. Uh, and, and probably would involve us like doing crazy stuff like snapshotting running containers and restoring memory and like snapshotting GPU. There's, there's, like getting below where we are from now is, is, is definitely hard. Um, I think in the long run, like, I, I mean, like, I, I think, you know, moving outside of AI, like, you know, we're interested in biotech, we're interested in like financial applications. There's a lot of interesting, like, you know, back testing and financial simulations that are pretty interesting. Uh, we tend to 
do really well with startups right now, but we're starting to get some enterprise customers and that's another area I definitely want to explore further. We, we just, just got our SOC 2 compliance uh, done. So hopefully that's the sort of starting point for, for getting some more enterprise mm -hmm. customers. Uh, and then, you know, who knows? Like, the, I don't know. The, 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 the exciting part about Modal is like, once you build this foundational like runtime, like there's so many different directions we're going in. So, so we're, we're exploring a few different, like, you know, we're dabbling with some ideas. Like one of the ideas I'm kind of excited about, I might mention is like, what if we could rebuild like sandboxing so like people can run like code in a safe way? There's actually a lot of our customers are running LLMs that generate code. And then they're like, we want to execute this code, but we don't want, we don't want the code to hack ourselves. So like they, they want like a safe code execution environment. So that's like one of the like kind of proof of concept things we're like exploring with because we have all the primitives for that. Uh, so, so we'll see if that, to me, that's like kind of a research project and we'll see. But, but we have a lot of those ideas of like, yeah, we could do this. We could do that. Like, let's try it. Like, let's see. And then, you know, maybe some of them will work. Maybe some of them won't. But, but to me, like where we are right now is super excited because we have this like starting to, ha you know, have this like really nice, solid platform that you can build a lot of stuff on top of. Yeah, uh, you, you fooled me. I, I, I didn't realize it wasn't GA yet. Uh, your guys' docs are great. You have so many good examples like... Uh... Me, me, as I said, I, I'm a front-end developer, but I got into modal and was productive with it within hours. So, like, you, you, you guys have done a very good job at communicating on the website. That's awesome. Next time, next year, I want to get that to minutes, though. Like, uh, <laughs> should take minutes for people to be productive. And then the year after, it should be seconds, and then milliseconds. Uh, that wraps it up for tool tips this week. Uh... Thanks for coming on, Eric. This was a, a fun talk about uh, the world of modal and data serverless stuff, something that both me and Justin really aren't all that accustomed to, but uh, it was fun to talk about it nonetheless. And thanks for coming on. Awesome. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot for, for hosting me. Yeah, Eric. And and to just repeat what Andrew said, really awesome to have you. And also, I mean, thanks for doing this. Like, I, I know that you were, this is a problem that you were like, sort of nerd sniped into doing, but modal, it provides like some real value. And this is a space that I'm excited you know, just to reduce that, give people an option to reduce the incidental complexity a little bit so they can build more products. Yeah, I 100% agree. Although I'm very biased, but definitely agree. <laughs> <laughs>